People will ask at times, or perhaps frequently, when did uh, Peter become the Pope? Right here. That's when Peter became the Pope. When did Jesus found the Catholic Church? Right here. That's when he founded the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church is the only Christian church, of course, founded by God. Um, all of the others are uh, fraudulent in some way. Um, that's a whole other discussion, and, and, uh, but they're all started by men. They're not started by God. Now, I'm not going to talk about any of that, um, although that's all interesting. Um, what I want to talk about instead is the identification of Jesus as God by Peter. So he asks them, what are people saying about me? You know, he's interested in kind of how he's being spoken of. And uh, so he gets certain replies back from his apostles. And then he says, well, who do you say that I'm? Who do you think I am? Have you figured it out yet? And Peter, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one long predicted. You're the one that we've been waiting for. That's right. That's right. That is who I am. John Courtney Murray, writing in uh, his book, The Problem of God, says that everyone has to wrestle with the question, that really agnosticism is a cop-out, not caring. I mean, we know that when you're in seventh, eighth grade through high school, you have to not care about anything because that's just part of what you have to live through, right? So I see all of you in those age groups, and you don't care, you know, and I know that that's what you got to go through, and we love you. It's fine. You'll get through that. But at a certain point, it's going to matter. So even if you, those of you who are apathetic, like, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids, and you're going to say, what do we do with them? You'll probably say that a lot, but particularly relative to God. You know, what do I do? Or I'm going to get married. Well, what do, what do I do? What do I believe? What kind of school do I send them to? You know, how are we going to live our lives? How do we live our lives I mean, there's a desire for God or the transcendent. What, what is my choice about that? And particularly, I think as Christians, we all have to make a decision about what we believe, um, who we believe, and what we believe Jesus Christ is. And those of you who are young, you know, you kind of rely on, on your parents and, and, you know, the, just kind of the strength of the community and the priest to support you. But ultimately, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. And adulthood is, is yeah, basically adulthood is choosing every day what kind of person we're going to be. So we're forced to uh, entertain the question and make a decision. Who is Jesus? And there's no middle ground on this one. Sometimes there's no middle ground. This one there is not. He's either God or he's something terrible. He's something terrible. For, uh, it, it was kind of a, a modern, a modern uh, argument that Jesus is just like this great moral teacher. Ah, there's a lot of great moral teachers and Jesus is just one of them and, you know, I'm going to pick a different one. That is not left open to us. Jesus cannot be merely a good moral teacher. The only people who would say that don't know the scriptures and don't know what Jesus said about himself. 
that is not a conclusion we can reach. So to articulate that, I'd like to go back to C.S. Lewis um, and his famous trilemma. A dilemma, dilemma, two, trilemma, three. And he entertains this very question as well, and this is back in the, back in the 1940s, but you know, the same things were being said back then. Well, Jesus just, you know, he's like Buddha or something else. No, no, he's not. He's actually not. That conclusion is not possible. It's not a logical conclusion. You might say, well, I think it's not a logical conclusion. This is the way Lewis will put it, but I'll, I'll extrapolate for us. So when you, when you listen to what Jesus claimed, Lewis says there are three alternatives. This is the trilemma. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. The alliteration helps. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are your three options. Because this. Because Jesus claimed he was God. This is one of the reasons why they kept saying he was blaspheming. Because he claimed to be God. And one of the ways that he made that manifest was he forgave sins in his own name. I forgive you your sins. Only God can forgive sins. This is one of the complaints made against him. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Exactly. Exactly. Jesus forgives sins as though they were actually a personal affront to him, that he had been offended. Well, that doesn't make sense unless he believes he is God and, of course, is God. So he forgives people's sins. He sets them free. He says to the people that uh, he's going to die and rise again to open up the gates of heaven. He says to the people that they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, for his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. He says that he and the Father are one of the same nature. So the claims that Jesus makes... He is claiming that he is God. So he's either lying and he's evil, which means he can't be a good, just a good moral teacher. He's a lunatic, in which case he's not a good moral teacher either. Or he's actually God. He actually is who he says he is. We are left with no other real alternatives, and we must make a decision. And this decision has in fact, lasting consequences. But let's presume, as I think it's right, you know, it's right to presume this, that most of us here have made that decision. Jesus is Lord. Okay. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, then that means we trust what he says. That means we have confidence in what he has said. That means we believe him and we accept what he has said, which means we have to change how we live because of what we believe. So otherwise, it's just sort of this affectation or this it's, it's either a motive or it's some sort of intellectual abstraction. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, and you know, but it doesn't make any difference. Or I feel like Jesus is Lord, and any time that I feel good about that, then I'm connected. But Jesus is after more than that, and he's very clear. It's, it's not even dis, you know, something to dispute. What does God want from me? Everything. Everything? Everything. And in the end, he will get it. 
he will either get his way or for those who rebel, which they have the ability to do so, for those who rebel, they will get their way. But in the end, there's either God's will or those who choose against his will. And of course, we pray that's none of us. So therefore, when we're looking at what we believe, it needs to lead to how we live. This means living with integrity. And I want to use that word in a very specific way, and I think the most authentic way. A lot of times people throw around the word integrity as, this, as, it, as though it's this dichotomy, either you, you have integrity or you don't, right? You're either a good person or you're a bad person. You're either this or you're that. But actually, integrity is about integration, integrating what we believe with how we live in this regard. And that's a process. It's, it's a process for everybody. Everybody is, is in process in some way. And there are elements of our lives that need to get on track or back on track or we just got to get started. Every single one of us, including me, every single one of us is in process. And we kind of hope that by the time we get to the end, we've, we've got a pretty well-integrated self. And so let's, let's reflect on that a little bit. What are some perhaps avenues that we have not integrated our beliefs with how we live. It's one thing to come to Mass on Sunday and and pray and worship and, and be together as a community, and that is very good, and God commands that we do this. It's actually not an option. We don't actually have the right to not do it because we don't have the right to act contrary to God. We have the obligation to be here. So being here, yeah, that's the start of it. But the Lord wants how much? All. He wants all. He wants to be Lord of our entire life, not just the hour and a half on Sunday, all of it. And so tomorrow, you know, for instance, let's start with the the younger people here. Tomorrow you're going to go to school. You know, if you're little or a little bit bigger or, you know, some of you are really big. Some of you, like me, didn't stop going to school until we were 37. Um, but you, you know, the younger ones here, you're going to go to school, and you're going to be faced with choices. You're going to be faced with choices on how to treat other classmates, perhaps classmates you don't get along with, you don't like, or whatever. You're going to be faced with choices to be kind, to be mean, to to be a bully. You're going to be faced with choices to gossip. You're going to be faced with all that kind of stuff. Jesus wants to be Lord of those moments too. And so in that moment, to integrate our faith, to bring it all together, means choosing to allow the Lord to be Lord in that moment, right? So it's not just Sunday. It's also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the, the entirety of our week. And those of you in school may be faced with circumstances where people may say to you, Why, what are you, what are you, you're Catholic? You went to church yesterday? What? What is the Lord looking for? He's looking for you to say, yeah, I'm Catholic. Of course I'm Catholic. Yes, I'm Catholic. Yes, I go to church. And then some of them are going to say to you, well, you shouldn't be Catholic. You know, it's, you Catholics believe this and you believe that. And you might not know how to answer them. My recommendation is you say this. My pastor is smarter than your pastor. (laughs) I probably shouldn't clap for that. Um, 
and it might be true, but I, <laughs> but I guarantee I have the answer. To whatever that thing is, I've got the answer. So when you're in that moment and you don't know what to say, I do. You just come to me and I'll give you the answer. Go to your parents first though, and then tell me if they had the answer. Because I want to know that too. <laughs> but you know, we're, we're forced in certain times to stand up for what we believe. Yeah, I'm Catholic. I go to church. I believe it. It's good. It fills me. And, and those of you who are adults, the same. You know, and, and I think of, you, you know, you men and women off to work or, or wherever you are during the week, and it comes up. Those are the moments Jesus wants you to, to claim to be his. Yes, I believe. It's good for me. It's good for my family. I believe it. To stand up, to be men and women of strength and conviction. You know, move a little bit further into some other areas. Um, well, here's a touchy one. Yeah, let's bring this up. Um, there are all these areas of our life that we've, we, we're insecure about letting God have access. And I like to bring those up because it's good data for us. If it bothers you, I'm not bringing it up in any way to, uh, to accuse or to intentionally make somebody feel bad, but there are sensitive areas of our life where we don't like God to have access, and those are the ones we should pay attention to. One of the things that Jesus is really clear about over and over and over is the dangers of dishonest wealth, the dangers of uh, building up treasure here um, and sacrificing building treasure there, right? He, he talks about it all the time. And what is dishonest wealth? Dishonest wealth is, you know, material wealth that promises what it doesn't deliver. It promises security and it doesn't deliver because it's temporary. It's all temporary. And this is one of the, one of the places over the years I've, you know, Catholics have said, oh, Father, I talk about money. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. You don't feel good about it? Let's talk about it. Because that's good to confront that and say, well, what's my problem with that? Why don't I want God to have access? You might say, well, I don't have a problem with God. I just have a problem with you, Father John. I don't want you to have access. Um, well, I don't want access. What I want you to do, all of us to do, is integrate our faith. Jesus says this is an issue. He says it a lot. And so the fact that we're sensitive about it or might be defensive about it says something to us about how attached we are. And the, the antidote that Jesus gives to holding on to dishonest wealth is to let some of it go. You know, whether that's through tithing, charitable donation, or, or whatever. My concern is not so much how much, my concern is that you're just thinking about that. How do I integrate my faith life? How do I have that conversation with God about, about tithing or dispossessing some of the wealth? How much? When should we do it? I believe that's between you and God. But as your pastor, I have to remind you that it's something to be considered. It's a part of our spirituality, and it's really important to Jesus. So if that's touchy for you, that's good data. Why is it touchy for me? It shouldn't be harmful. It's good for us to think about. And a couple other, other examples. With your family. I believe you should be praying with your children every single day. I suggest that. I think this would be good for you. 
I've seen this in families and how good it is for families. If you want to keep your kids Catholic, not only bring them to church on Sunday, but pray with them every single night. Every night? Well, I mean, yeah, every single night, if they're home. Well, how long does it have to be? Well, how long is halftime? It's about 15 minutes, you need five minutes to get a beer. Um, so about 10 minutes, bring the, bring the kids together. It, I think it should be, if I were doing it, and I don't, all I've got is the Shih Tzu, she doesn't pray. Um, but I would bring the kids together and, and say, okay, what are we going to pray for? We're going to pray for, you know, mom and dad and each other and family and, and my teddy bear and, you know, all of that stuff. Okay, pray for that. Get our intentions in. Our Father, hail Mary, glory be, bless them, go to bed. Make it simple. It's better to have the consistency than the length or duration inconsistently. Far better to do it and make it something that's doable. Like, you can do that. You teenagers can do that. You may not want to do it because you don't want to do anything. We know. It's okay. But you can do it. You little ones can do it. You love to pray with mom and dad. So mom and dad do that. Another, by extension of that, couples pray together. What a wonderfully intimate thing and gift to give to one another. Again, it can be very simple. It can be like praying with the kids. But that intimacy that you share, there's many ways to be intimate as a couple, but to be spiritually intimate is to share the very core of your being with one another, to allow God to, to truly dwell within your relationship. Men, I guarantee that your wives would be grateful for you to say, honey, let's pray tonight. Let's pray together. It doesn't have to be long. It can be short, but pray with me. I guarantee that's a winner. I just guarantee. Ladies, is that a winner? Yeah, you think? No, I guess not. Ladies, do you think that's a winner? I think that's a winner. It's not hard. Men lead. They do so wisely, sensitively, and charitably, but they lead. That's part of what we do. Women lead too, and we do it in different ways. So the idea here then, integration, integrity, integration. What we believe should affect what we do and how we behave. And the goal is we just want to get better at that. You might say, well, I'm not perfect at it. No one is. We're, on, we're in process. We're on a path. Everybody's on their own path. But we support one another. We encourage each other. And sometimes we challenge each other to grow. That's what we do. And always remember that if Jesus is Lord, there ought to be some evidence in our lives that we actually believe that. Please stand.